Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Darren Lewis of the Daily Mirror and by Tony Hodson of the Coach's Voice platform. Manchester City are no ordinary football club. They're backed by governments and a huge American private equity firm. They represent political power and financial muscle. Now, they've got every right to appeal their two-year ban from the Champions League, but the stakes could not be higher. UEFA's authority will be shattered if they lose. Now, this feels like a fight for football's future. We've had a couple of days to digest the implications. Darren, you agree? Yeah, I do agree. And I think City's defence that it was initiated by UEFA and prosecuted by UEFA and, you know, their anger towards the European football governing body is fascinating because you sign up to a competition, you play by their rules. And it would appear that City seem to have a concern that there's been a, somewhere along the line a method of operating that has been biased against them. UEFA say that City haven't cooperated with them. So I'm a little bit confused as to where City are, and I know we, we all know the details of, of the actual case, but I certainly feel that in terms of the future of European football, uh, for City it's looking bleak. And, for you know, if we are to have any faith in the running of the game, then we have to trust the authorities in their ability to be able to preside over it. Mm. But is the issue here, Tony, a bigger one? And in essence, it's the legitimacy of those authorities. You've got UEFA, you've got FIFA with their own agendas. UEFA are looking at a bloated Champions League. FIFA have got their bloated Club World Cup. Yet they are 19th century institutions, or sorry, 20th century institutions. <laughs> are the bigger clubs now almost becoming bigger than the game itself? I think there's an element of that. I think there are, there are so many complicating factors at play here. Fundamentally, you've got Manchester City and, to a degree, PSG, who are the nouveau riche, saying that UEFA European football is run by a cabal of super clubs who are only interested in their own profitability, their own trophies, their, their own success. The irony there is that they just want to be a part of that club. Yeah. Once they're a part of that club, they won't really care about the other nouveau riche looking in. They'll want to, they, in theory, they would want to protect themselves in the same way that they're arguing the current super clubs are. 
So that's one issue. But the other issue, as you point out, is that you've got UEFA who are trying to maintain their authority over these super clubs. Now, picking a fight with Manchester City, in a way, suits them because it means they don't have to pick a fight with one of the traditional superpowers. <laughs> and that maybe keeps Liverpool, Manchester United, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Barcelona happier for the kind of medium term, possibly, short term, uh, they'd be concerned about. But then, as you say, the question then is, with, you've, got, you've got FIFA who are trying to extend the Club World Cup to the point that they've seen the supremacy of the Champions League, they, wanna, they don't like it, they want to they question it, they want to compete with it. In the end, you get the feeling, don't you, that it's the super clubs that will hold the most power, not the governing bodies. Mm. So, in, in that sense, are we going towards a Super League or whatever manifestation it, it, it comes out as? I think we are, I think we are, but the, <laughs> funnily enough, the fact that Sheffield United could be a bit beneficiary of <laughs> yeah. Manchester City not being in the Champions League actually suggests that there is hope. You know, it isn't just going to be a cabal of the big clubs, but maybe there is room for somebody to land a blow and strike a blow for the smaller clubs, the smaller fan, you know, the the football reality, if you like, because it, it, it's very hard to have sympathy one way or the other, as you rightly say. Manchester City, who Spanish clubs obviously will be breathing a lot of sigh of relief that they're here is not another big club with the Petri dollars to come and snaffle away our players, as they did, for example, Sergio Aguero. But then UEFA, as you rightly say, have got their grand plans for doing what they want and in a sense, raking it in at the expense of people like you and me. So mm. it's hard to have sympathy one way or another. And all we can do is look at it one-dimensionally and see that City have fallen foul of the rules and have left themselves with very little in terms of where to go. Mm. Do we think the ban will stand? I know I'm not supposed to be asking the questions, but... <laughs> <laughs> I think it will. I think it will. And I, I think it will because for UEFA to have any authority, it has to. Mm. And, and also, the only reason why it might not stand, from what I can see, and I'm sure somebody with a lot more you know, expertise than me can, can see through it, but City's argument appears to be that UEFA leaked elements of their working, their procedure. Mm. Is that really enough to overturn a ban? Mm. I mean, we're not talking about criminal court here. I think probably there'll be some real politic involved, won't there? And it wouldn't surprise Easy me much. if that ban was reduced to, say, a year or whatever it would be. But I suppose that the, the, the central issue would remain, clubs like Manchester City, are they good for what used to be a really simple game, football? Mm. I mean, there have always been the haves and have-nots, haven't there? Always. Um, it's just that the haves now are up there, as yeah. opposed to here, and the have-nots are just absolutely nowhere near. Now, Manchester City would argue I guess in the same way that Saracens might argue in, in rugby, that if we have the money, why shouldn't we be able to spend it? They're owned by, I have money, I buy a house, I do what I want to my house. I'm not, I'm not told by other people what I can and can't do, more or less than my neighbours who have a similar house. I've got a lot of sympathy with that. I guess you then start to question where the money's coming from and how good that is for football. I don't know, I don't think I'm the person to answer that. Yeah. I know, I agree though, because I, you know, football history, for years and years, I remember AC Milan hoovering up players in 1994. Mm. I remember when we people were worried that if Man United signed Alan Shearer, you know, that would be a good night for the rest of us. Uh, I can remember Real Madrid 
basically stockpiling players and Wesley Schneider leaving because he couldn't get regular first-team football and winning the treble with Inter Milan. Mm. You know, over the years, there have been lots of clubs like Manchester City coming along. And I think part of the beauty of Liverpool at the moment, just as a very slight sort of move away, is that they are dominating without necessarily smashing the bank to pieces for all... OK, they did spend big on the goalkeeper in the centre-half, but elsewhere, it's been clever recruitment rather than exorbitant recruitment. As far as City are concerned, you know, you look at £62 million pounds for Rodri, who hasn't exactly lit the place up, and you look at £60 million pounds for Joao Cancelo, who's played seven times in the Premier League, mm. seven starts in the Premier League. And it's always been that way. And that's why we loved Leicester winning the Premier League. That's why we're so desperate for... Desperate, but that's why it would be so beautiful if Sheffield United were to finish in a top-four place because they would be the clubs that would strike a blow for reality and prove that just because you have all of the money, it doesn't necessarily guarantee footballing success. Mm. Are we dealing here, Darren... <clears throat> with a battle for hearts and minds. And if that's the case, City are behind the eight ball on that because, you know, there's a lot of envy around in football and, and that is directed at City for, for good or ill. So when you look at the situation, is this perversely an opportunity for City to actually relaunch themselves? Yeah, I, I think it is. There's a terrific piece by Ian Herbert in the Daily Mail where he talks about the fact that if they were to lose Pep, and everyone's been pontificating over the last few days about the nightmare scenario, the top players could go, Pep could go, uh, Soriano and Bergenistan could leave as well. But they've got a fantastic academy, a fantastic complex at the Etihad. They've got some fine young players in their academy. It's almost like they could build from the bottom up and maybe a new city could be built on the foundations, the superb foundations, let's not kid ourselves, that exist at the club at the moment. I mean, I think there was for a time talk that suddenly kids weren't, parents weren't wanting to send their kids to Manchester United. It was Manchester City because the setup there was so fantastic. So there is a chance for City to do what AC Milan did last year when AC Milan said, look, you know what, we're out of the Champions League, let's just we'll put our hands up, we'll sit back, and the fifth-place team took it. But then they just tried to move on, having drawn a line under all of the scandal and all of the problems that had beset them. I think a City could do that. And if they were to succeed having done that, you see the love that Chelsea get for mm. having faith yeah. in their young players. Yeah. Maybe City could go in that direction too. Mm. It does we feel like it, there's kind of an end of an era coming up at City anyway, doesn't it? it regardless of what happens with this, there's a, an increasing sense that Pep won't be there at the start of next season. A lot of the players that have kind of taken City to, to the great heights in recent times are coming to the end. Aguero's not getting any younger. Fernandinho's into his mid-30s. David Silva, obviously, already a waning force, leaves at the end of the season. And the recruitment, as you say rightly, in the last couple of seasons, with all the money in the world, hasn't been amazing. <laughs> They've got one functioning... Well, no, one good centre-half who is rarely fit mm. in Laporte. You know, you wouldn't bat them to winning the chance. They're not winning the Premier League. They might win. They might win the League Cup and the, and the FA Cup again. Yeah. But... Do you, on on that point, do you expect how, do you expect all this to have any impact on the team itself in the short term? So you know, they've got West Ham on Wednesday, Leicester at the weekend. Then they've got the biggie, yeah. Real Madrid next week. It's not going to improve their ability to defend, any is that? Yeah. It may. It may. It may. Make them a bit more resilient. You know, there might be there might be an anger amongst amongst mm. the players that they want to put this right on the pitch. I mean, 
fundamentally you have to ask how much they really care about that stuff. Yeah. They're still getting paid the same money, whatever that might be, and they still have the same strengths and the same frailties. You know, Sergio Aguero is not going to be any more desperate to score goals than he already is. That's what makes him so brilliant. But they're not going to be any, any less fragile at the back. God knows what happens in the rest of the season for them. But, but, but you know, on, on the back of that, you know, it is quite interesting to point out that Klopp went to Liverpool when they were not in the Champions League, you know, and, and, and he, he saw them as a massive club that he could take to that level and he succeeded with fantastic tactics. You know, he plays the same way he does now with the side that he knew he was going to break up and reassemble a couple of years later. And let's not forget, he got to the Europa League final without Virgil van Dijk and without Alisson and he got to a Champions League final having realised he needed that quality to move them on. So it's entirely possible that City could do that. I think, will the players care? Let's not kid ourselves. Footballers, unless you are born and bred and whatever else and you've got an affinity with a football club, you know more than anybody. You've been clubs, you know, from Landon to John O'Groats. Footballers really care about their bank balances and looking after themselves and their money. That's not to say they're bad people. We all care about our bank oh, absolutely. balances, you know. But you know, will the players turn and say, oh my goodness, UEFA uh, have launched this case and we could be out of the Champions League, I've got to stay and fight for this club, or are they going to say, hmm, I wonder when pre-season is for Real Madrid? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because on, on that point, it is by nature a hypothesis this, but when we get to the start of next season, can you imagine a scenario where Manchester City are managed by Mauricio Pochettino? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Why not? The one thing he didn't have at Tottenham was an unlimited bank balance yeah. and the magic and the wonders that he worked. Let's face it, there was a lot of good players there. You know, they, they weren't short on quality, but the project that he embarked upon with them, which kind of looked tired by the start of this season, didn't it? It looked tired at the end of last season in places, but he produced a team, a style of football, a spirit in the club, a spirit on the terraces, whichever stadium they were playing in. That, that felt as though something was building. Mm. To have a chance to build something, and it, I think it probably does need building a city again, doesn't it, regardless of who goes in next. Mm. To have that with everything you've just described in terms of the academy, yeah. the infrastructure, the spending power, why wouldn't he want to go there? Mm. I totally agree. I think that, I, I almost wonder if City being City, they, uh, when he left Spurs, they said to him, look, hang around because we're a little bit nervous about this case. You know, why don't you just stick around because if Pep doesn't sign a new deal, he's only got a year left if he decides he wants to walk away. We're not in the Champions League. You're a guy who got a, a Tottenham side with their noses pressed up against the glass into the Champions League and you kept them in there against the odds. Mm. You're our man. You know, come in, rebuild this defence. Get us playing the kind of football that you did at Spurs. Why would you not? want to come here. I think it would appeal to him massively. And, you know, that's part of the reason why United have to really decide what they want. Because, you know, if they if they were to lose him to City, that would be worse than not, you know, than than mm. as, the, he's there now, you know, make the decision. You got a guy who took Cardiff down in charge <coughs> of a side that you can't trust at the moment, you know. There you've got Pochettino. You're going to not get him and then see him go to your biggest rivals and keep them dominating and being the top team in Manchester. Crazy. He's mm. also a hearts and minds appointment for City. Very <coughs> Think about how popular he is across the board. 
you know, if City have a problem, if, if the owner's genuinely thinking about that, and in the in the world of soft power, people, power people do think about that, then Pochettino seems the absolute nailed on best candidate <laughs> to go for, doesn't he? Absolutely. I mean, I, I look, I, 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 I covered Spurs for the entire time that Pochettino was there, and him and Jesus Perez, he came in and he, and he said, look, we're not really in for the older players and that we, we want young players. We want players that we can develop, that we can make better. When you look at some of the young players that they've got at City, I don't know if they've still got Tosineda or Bayo at the club, Phil Foden, who's not playing anywhere enough, <coughs> near enough. I don't care what Pochettino, uh, I've got him as manager already. <laughs> uh, Guardiola says, you know, you look at some of the massively talented young men there who, if they were to get in the side on a regular basis, would, would really be able to fulfil their potential. And you see that Pochettino's absolutely the right man if they were to take him. Mm. Talking of fulfilling potential, Liverpool. No. Must we talk about Liverpool? Yeah, uh, OK, yeah. <laughs> as, as someone whose heart is, is in, on Merseyside, <laughs> this is probably an unfair question, but I'll ask it anyway. Are they capable of defending the Champions League? Absolutely. Yeah, no question. There's a... I think we spoke about this before. There's just a winning mentality at Liverpool. It, it's something of a monster. You know, they, they talk... Klopp talks about it. I think if you look at Liverpool in the past three seasons, the overall, the levels of excitement around Liverpool games at the moment, about the football that Liverpool play, is probably lower, lower than it's been in the previous two seasons. But there's a control, there's a power, there's a relentlessness about this team. Mm. There's an, an inevitability about it, isn't there? It's ridiculous, yeah. And, and teams almost go on the pitch expecting to lose. I mean, and that's what, there are very few teams in Premier League history that that's happened with. Manchester United in the Ferguson era, and God, he... He pulled that trick for about 10 years longer than he should have done. <laughs> um, Wenger, briefly, at Arsenal, Chelsea under Mourinho and Pep for a couple of seasons at City. But this team, they, there's just a ruthlessness about them. They just win games. There's a belief. Klopp talked about it on, against Norwich on Saturday. He said he looks around the pitch on an hour. Liverpool still weren't winning, but everyone was calm. Maybe weren't playing particularly well, but there was a, you know, no one was rushing, no one was panicking. The question is, we've seen it with teams on the continent. Bayern Munich have done this a couple of times where such has been their domestic dominance that their that competitive streak has just dropped off a little bit late in the season and that's had a negative impact on, on their Champions League efforts. That obviously wasn't the case last season with Liverpool and City going tooth and nail right to the end of the season. If you assume that Liverpool win the league with weeks to spare, which they will this season, then is there a sense that that might just drop off and it might damage their Champions League. I mean, that, that, I just don't see that happening with this team. Klopp, Klopp is pushing them to such levels and they're responding that, why would they? Everyone's talking about that. To be, to be a truly great team, you've got to win multiple titles and retain titles. I think the hunger will be there, especially if they're not in the FA Cup. I was at Norwich on Saturday and Mane came off the bench, 12 minutes left and scored. We spoke to Joe Gomez afterwards and Joe Gomez was saying to be a proven team, we need to win the Champions League again. We're winners, but we're not proven winners just yet. And he said that our mentality at the moment is that we have to respect every opponent, whether they're a Manchester City, an Atletico Madrid or a Norwich. And if we don't have that respect for every team, we can't not only get someone to make the breakthrough late in the game, but we can't keep other teams out because we'll switch off. And the save that Alisson made from Lucas Rupp, mm. when he looked certain to score, he had Timo Puke to his left, and it looked for all the world as though they were going to take the lead, and Alisson just stands up as long as he can and scoops the ball out from his feet. That's as good as the goal. 
Mm. And, and that's a, a sign that we give all of the credit to their front three, but that back five has done wonders. They've not, they've only conceded one goal, Mike, since December the 4th, when they won 5-2 against Everton. And in that time, the concentration levels and the fact that the entire team isn't just that back five, mm. the entire team are aware of their duties, that reflects the leadership at the club because Klopp gets those guys switched on game in, game out. And I think they, they could easily defend the Premier League because there isn't a team... Champions League. League. No, sorry, the Champions League. We'll League. do the Premier League following season. <laughs> sorry, Liverpool will. <laughs> Can I just make this yeah. very, very small point, if I may? Um, that Liverpool... What really frustrates me is people say you can have two thoughts at the same time. Yes, they're a brilliant team, but the league's not great. I, I don't buy that at all. No. Because I think to maintain the level of consistency that they have suggests that they will do that whether the league was outstanding or whether the league was poor. You know, And sometimes you just have to appreciate the concentration, the defensive ability, the creative flair, the cutting edge. You know, who remembers who ran in the 1,000 guineas when Frankel won it? The other, you know, who, can you remember all of Mike Tyson's opponents when he fought against them? Mm. Sometimes we do this thing where someone's so good, we have to maybe qualify it for some reason instead of appreciating it. And I think, you know, it's really sad when people do that because Liverpool at the moment are one of the great teams we've ever seen in English football. I think we just have to give them that credit. Mm. There also haven't been... I can't remember many teams placed 20th in the Premier League who play quite as good football as Norwich. No, yeah. no. Just no. as an aside, let's no. give them some credit. They... You know, it's just frustrating that they can't defend. You know, <laughs> and, 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 and had they been able to do that, you know, there are a number of players in that team. Buendia's a fantastic player. Yeah, lovely. Cantwell will be at a top side soon. Yeah. You know, Puki. You know, we score goals for fun at the start of the season. Aaron's. He's kind of, Max Aaron's will be at... I, I know there are a couple of teams well, that Spurs have, have been banging on the door. Spurs have been in for him for about 12 months, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. See why. It'll be, it, uh, the sad thing for that Norwich team is that they've stayed true to their principles. But last summer, they should have bought and they didn't because Farke basically was of the opinion, we came up doing this, let's stick to it. And you, you can't really say it's the wrong thing to do because, you know, Chris Wilder at Sheffield United stuck to his principles mm. too mm. and it's really paid off but you just think that if they had a bit of leadership in that back line Norwich could have been safe for another mm. season In a way we're going back to a little bit about the point we made right at the top of the show about the increasing demands on players because of you know, expansionism by either big clubs or the authorities let's take Salah as a case in point he could be, now Liverpool have just been given the option of saying that he doesn't go to the Olympics with Egypt's under-23s, mm. which would cause chaos in Egypt, but they've probably got every right to say, have a rest. Mm. In the last three seasons, he's basically been non-stop, either through World Cups or African Cup of Nations. You've got the African Cup of Nations being played this about this time next year, which will obviously include <laughs> Mane as well, 100 goals already. Mm. Are Liverpool almost a guinea pig for the the fact that our modern players, our modern stars, play too many games? Possibly, possibly. I think I was looking back, thinking about this over the weekend. Do you remember when Spain went to the 2014 World Cup as favourites and they got done over 5-1 by the Netherlands in the first game, then lost to Chile and, and they were gone? And this was a team that had won major tournaments for fun in the previous six years. 
but they'd also that success meant that they'd also gone to confederations cups yeah. every almost every player in those in those winning teams or squads were playing for Barcelona or Real going very deep in club competitions and in the end it just had to tell they looked knackered Netherlands just killed them in the second half of the first game of a world cup and we've seen with Tottenham as well in recent times it's not just Liverpool you've got people like Deli Ali and Harry Kane are two obvious guys who are just getting more injured more often mm. on the back of some very long summers with England well, as well. and you also had someone like Alexis Sanchez who's basically fallen off the place of the face of the planet yeah. simply because he's just burnt out yeah it's it's relentless well where do you both stand though on the fact that they've had this winter break which we haven't had before blinking and you missed it well, that's a fair point. Although, to be fair, the game that they played at the weekend, Liverpool, was their first in 11 days. Spoke to Jordan Henderson on Saturday and he was saying, our batteries feel refreshed. He he was clear, you could argue, maybe he would say that, you know, the crest of a wave, 25 points clear at the top. Mm. When you're doing well and you're, you, your mentality is such that you can't wait for the next game. But I, I just think that this season is different from any other for that reason. And so while... Under normal circumstances, they'd be in the red zone. They came back, you saw them bouncing through the mix zone at Norwich on Saturday, and they were full of beans. And actually, there's an argument for saying they were a little bit rusty at the start of the Norwich game. Mm. Uh, and that a Liverpool really on it, had it, you know, the game been three days after their previous game, four days, maybe they would have been a lot sharper. So, I, I mean, I do agree with the general point. Mm. Absolutely. We've seen a number of players, Tom Heaton at Aston Villa, injured Harry Kane seasonal injury, you know, there have been a number of players who have suffered as a result of the excruciating workload on players in the Premier League, there's no doubt about that. And you're right, sometimes when you're successful, you don't want to stop playing, yeah. you know, you do want to carry on playing and that's when you have to be saved from yourself. But I just think with the example of Liverpool, given the, the period of time that they've had away, even the City players as well, and as, as West Ham players, I know they went on holiday last Monday, didn't get back until last Saturday. And I was talking to David Connolly, the, the former Republic of Ireland player. He played in, in, in Holland and he was saying sometimes we say that the winter break's too short, but if you have it too long, then it's hard to get your momentum back. It's almost like a pre-season when you come back. Mm. And so it's very difficult to, to judge it just right. And maybe this sort of 11 days, 10 days might be just right. I don't know, I'm just... I think we saw, I think we, on that point, I think we saw in both the Europa League final and the Champions League final last season how dangerous it can be to have a longer break because yes. both of those games felt devoid of energy because it felt like maybe they'd just been mm. a bit too rested. Yeah. And they'll need all the energy they, uh, uh, they normally demonstrate or, uh, uh, when they play you know, in Madrid against Atletico. Diego Simeone, his easy era coming to a close at the Wanda now. You're talking about, what, eight years there. They moved six players, experienced players out in the summer. Mm. You know, a transitional year by his own admission. What sort of test will Atletico pose? Actually, possibly less than they would have done in previous seasons. They've, it's a bit of a freebie for Atletico and Simeone, actually, in that they're expected to lose. They will be expected to lose. Liverpool are what they are. The worry I'd have from their point of view is Atletico are not a team, Simeone is not a manager who might take advantage of a free win, just say go out and play because that's not their style. They play. He's an attritional manager, they play an attritional brand of football. They've lost players, you said, I mean, Godin is the one for me. Mm. Getting on he may be, but he's the absolute heart and the absolute, he was the, 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 the absolute kind of example of what that team was, what that whole philosophy was built around, as well as an extremely good defender and player. So 
I'd be amazed if Liverpool didn't progress over the two legs, particularly to stay a little bit refreshed. Andy Robertson, who looked absolutely knackered before the break, was actually Liverpool's best player against Norwich, yeah. I thought. The key for Atletico is, is staying top four in Spain, which they currently are just about. If they can find... Actually, going out of the Champions League may not do them any harm. Mm. If they can put a bit more effort and, and, and get a bit more few more points towards the end of the season, get that top four back in the Champions League next season to have a proper crack at Real and Barca. Simeone... A bit like Poch at Spurs, it felt like it was coming to the end. Guardiola at City, There's, it feels like eight years is a long time mm. and he's worked absolute wonders. I think if they're not in the top four this season, they may look to change it, but if they are, I think he stays. Yeah, I was talking to Klopp at, on, on, at Norwich and he was saying that there are similarities between him and uh, Guardiola in so much as they've... Guardiola, uh, Simeone, forgive me, in so much as they've tried so hard with their teams against the odds, not always succeeded... And then I said to him, OK, well, they've won one of their last seven games. And he said, yeah, but bear in mind, they've kept three clean sheets. You know, and the goal difference is very favourable as far as they're concerned. Mm. Because I was just trying to say to him, look, Manny's just come off the bench and he scored. Is there any team in the world you feel you can't score against, you know? And he said, if anybody knows how to play for a result, it's Diego Simeone. So I'm not going to get ahead of myself going out to the wonder. But bear in mind, of course, it's a stadium where they won the Champions League last season. Mm. It'll be interesting to see what impact that will have on the players. Going back to the scene of what Klopp described as our greatest triumph. And, you know, how will the players react? I, I sense that they'll react positively because the mentality is literally game, next game, next game. Talk to them about 25 points, clear. they don't want to hear it. It's just about the next game. Van Dyke, when we spoke to him at West Ham, said, I don't even look at the table. It's just about the next game. And that kind of mentality is so instructive as much as impressive because it tells you a lot about the mentality of Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp and why they can dominate. Mm. It's all too easy to overlook the fact that there was another team in that final, Spurs. Mm. They're back in Champions League action against Red Bull Leipzig. Coming into a better form, won last three games. Is City something... Uh, sorry, is, is uh, the Champions I've League... I've done it now, too. You have, haven't you? <laughs> is the Champions League something they can probably secretly do without? I don't know. I think in the way that I said, if Atletico go out, it may not do them any harm. In a way... It feels like Mourinho, and I think I'll say the same about Arteta with Arsenal in the Europa League, could do with more games, regardless of fitness and strength of his squad. It's just He's trying to impose his own philosophy on, on a set of players who've been playing a very set way for quite a long period of time. I think the more games those clubs have to play, the better. The only question mark for, for Spurs is whether they're not winning... in. Mourinho fashion, are they at the moment? The victory against, you know, they're not keeping clean sheets. They're, they're kind of, it feels like they're getting out of jail or getting lucky. Now, you know, good managers get lucky, don't they? Um, Mourinho's done it plenty of times over the years and, and no one really questions it. So, Darren, a challenge been uh, offered to you? Would well, I, accept? I, I do, because I, I, I think that offensively, Spurs are, are terrific. They, they can score goals for fun, as we know. Lucas Moura has got the pace to get him behind and the Champions League, as we saw last season, very mm. much is a competition mm. that he revels in. Son Heung-min has been fantastic deputising for Harry Kane over the last three seasons. And he really is... At the early part of the season, he wasn't as sharp as he can be, but he's mm. getting back to himself. The problem, as you just highlighted a second ago, is that back line, because Spurs give away goals as if it's Christmas. And I can see Timo Werner, a striker who... 
that Liverpool really do like the look of, uh, as well as a number of teams, to be fair. I can see him finding space in behind that Tottenham back line. And no matter what Mourinho does to try and plug the holes in that defence, opposition teams are finding a way through. Even Norwich, I remember when they played Norwich at Carroll Road and, you know, Norwich, had they had more quality in the final third, they would have filled their boots. Mm -hmm. So I'm concerned for Spurs from that point of view. They've got every chance of progressing, but until they stop conceding goals, you could not hang your hat on them at all. Mm. If you look at Leipzig, are they the optimal version of what Spurs could be? And by that, I mean, you look at the overall model, you've got Paul Mitchell, who used to be head of recruitment at Spurs, mm. working under Ralph Rangnick, and it's a cohesive process. The recruitment's fantastic, but they maintain a successful a level of success while doing that and making a lot of money. Mm. So oh, let's look beyond the pitch, as it were. Leipzig, can you explain that model to people who might not actually fully be a, a cognizant of it? No. <laughs> I actually can't, Mike. No. Because you know, I, I talk to people in recruitment and they say yeah. they are five years ahead of anyone else in the world because you know, the, the depth of the scouting, the consistency of selection, yeah. and you know, you've got a fantastic young coach there. Yeah, I mean, what they're doing is, like you say, it's a project and it's, it, it feels like all the cogs are working, pulling in the same direction and working the same way. It's still so young. Let's not forget that. You know, they're yet to win a Bundesliga title. They may yet win. It's a kind of battle royale in Germany this season. But what they're doing is going in the right direction. You kind of, and you're right, it's backed by huge amounts of money, which Tottenham don't have. And who knows how long it is before they, they will have that. But the model is one that other clubs should aspire to. It's just a matter of whether they will have the resources to do that. The way Tottenham is run by Daniel Levy is, is very prudent. They would need money to come from elsewhere. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, is it? Mm. Mm. Suppose we've got Chelsea on Saturday, so they're going to another local little local difficulty. Is that when we're now obviously going to focus on the top five rather than the top four because of the city situation? Is that a critical top four stroke five game? Absolutely. Absolutely, because Chelsea should have had the top four wrapped up ages ago and they've blown chance after chance to win games, to put inferior opponents to the sword. I think of, for example, Bournemouth at home during the Christmas period mm. and you just thought that's a shoe-in, nailed on three points for them and, and they managed to blow it. And the problem is the lack of quality in the final third. Now, to be fair, after they beat Lille in the Champions League in November, I think, sorry, December, Lampard said, we want to go into the market and we want to be able to buy quality so that in the second half of the season, we don't get into a situation where we've got top opportunities to win games and we blow them. Because as good as Abraham has done so far this season, he can only do so much. He's learning the game still. And while they love him and they want to continue to nurture him, you just need somebody who's experienced to cope with the pressure sometimes of these big games and be the difference. They've made a terrific signing in Hakim Zayic, who will come to the club in the summer from Ajax, and he can play on the wing, he can play in an offensive position, and he will improve them massively. I'm concerned for them now, Mike, because I just think they haven't got enough experience in that final third, and I think that Spurs offensively are better than Chelsea are at the moment. I think Chelsea are wobbling, and I think their place in the top four might be up for grabs. Because mm. The Champions League is where you make your reputation. Zayic did last season, mm. uh, Donny 
Van der Beek, who looks a Premier League player in all aspects of the game, did so. You've also got Jadon Sancho, who's got the platform of the game against PSG this week. Is he at a level now where his next natural move would be to Barcelona, Real Madrid, rather than Manchester United or a Chelsea or a Manchester City? Arguably, or a Liverpool? Arguably, yes. I think the player himself would like to return to the Premier League. And he does seem a natural fit for a number of Premier League teams. You can see him operating at Liverpool. You can definitely see him operating at Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal, you know, even, even United. It just he is, he is that good a talent. It hasn't all been plain sailing for him in the Bundesliga. But it, it feels to me like this season he's kind of come out the other side of, of, of some issues, playing good football again. I mean, personally, is it, is it? I just want him to be in the Premier League. He's, he's a great young English talent, and I think we should be seeing him every week here. It's, it's fascinating because uh, the talk in Germany is that Chelsea are already trying to negotiate for him. But Chelsea in the summer will lose Pedro, almost certainly, but he's coming to the end of his contract. Talk about him going to the MLS to play. And William, who they wanted to keep, Lampard wants to keep him, but William obviously exercising his, his right to talk to other clubs, and he'll likely leave in the summer as well. Even though he's just over 30, he is still you know, a, a very, very good player mm -hmm. for Chelsea. The way Chelsea play, they obviously play with that front three and he, Sancho will know the likes of Hudson-Odoi and Abraham from the England squad, so there won't be any problems integrating. And I could see him being more likely to go there than to a Manchester United that are still in transition. Manchester City, where you don't, well, you just don't know what the future is for them at the moment. Tottenham couldn't afford him. And, and so I think it would the best fit if he were to come to the Premier League would be Chelsea Arsenal have got their own players in all of those positions that they're developing and doing a very good job mm. of developing as well. But I think Chelsea could be the one. They look after young players so well. There, Jody Morris has done a fantastic job. Frank Lampard has got total faith in them. I think he'd be a really, really good fit. What if they don't finish top four? I still think he'd go because I think that they would eventually spend big well i think whatever happens they'll spend big in the summer mm -hmm. and so if they don't finish in the top four this season they will do next season but i just think for sancho he's had a few problems at leipzig uh, sorry at dortmund and i wonder if he now needs to be somewhere where he'll feel at home you know we will feel appreciated and loved and looked after because mm. we do you know, forget how young he is, don't we? Really, really young. Yeah. yeah yeah darren mentioned arsenal there and let's just look at it in the context of the Europa League. Has that Europa League, is it, is it as a competition growing in credibility and significance? So someone like Arsenal, you know, they've got Olympiacos this week, how important is the competition for Miguel Arteta and Arsenal as a whole? Well, I think, I mean, as, as, a, as a competition itself, it's gained prestige just by the, the winners going into the Champions League. I mean, that, that was great PR for it. And I think you are seeing teams now care from earlier on in the competition, which you go back five, six years, maybe it would have been, let's get to the quarters or semis and then then think about trying. Had Unai Emery won the Europa League last season, he, he may well still be in the job. Now, Arsenal fans might think that's a good thing or a bad thing, who knows? <laughs> but I think Mikel Arteta, they're not going to finish top four this season. But like I said earlier, the, the, the more games those players play and learn the Arteta way and he gets a chance to develop his philosophy in those players and in that team, I think the more beneficial it is for them. So you'd, you'd expect them to get through this tie. And from then on, you know, I thought against Newcastle yesterday, they were 
very impressive in the end. And I think Arsenal fans would take it if under Arteta they are very impressive in the end <laughs> um, because they, they want to see development and they want to see... And I think you're right, they, there are young players there who are starting to find their feet a little bit. There's still a lack of seniority, there's still a lack of influence and strength in certain areas, certainly in central midfield, and, and we all know their defence has its, has its problems. But I think the more games they play this season, the better for Arteta, and that means the longer they stay in the Europa League, the better. You look at Saka. You know, I loved his reaction when they showed his, yeah. his nutmeg. You know, it was just like the kid in the cage football, at, you know, in the Estates, wasn't it? Mm. He's got 18 months le left on his contract. They need to sort that out sharpish. Looking at him as a, a potential England left-back, competition for left-back, is that viable? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you know, I remember, I feel old now, I remember when we used to always talk about England's left-back problem. Do you remember during the sort of 90s and early sort of noughties, if you like. And now we've got so many options down that left side. And I like him as an offensive player because the way he stuck the ball... I can't remember who the player was. He stuck it through his legs, you know. It's the, uh, the new uh, Newcastle signing. Oh, uh, Lazaro. Yeah. Uh, yeah OK. And, um, Welcome to the Premier League. <laughs> Thank you very much. A teenager. Not <laughs> yeah. Thanks, mate. But just the impudence to be able to try that. Yeah. Pull it off, and as you said, I mean, listen, you you were asking me the questions, and you've done, you, you know, your terrific book, and you went and you talked to those kids in South London, and you see the the creativity, the hunger, desire, the raw energy that they have. Well, you know, you talk to Jaden Sancho when he when he gets a chance to come back to London in the summer, he goes and plays in the cage with his mates. Exactly, and that's the kind of raw energy that artist is harnessing at the new Arsenal. Listen, I think the new Arsenal will be unrecognisable in 12 months' time to the one we're seeing at the moment. Yeah. But I think there are signs there. And I always think when a, when a club, any club, is struggling uh, and you ask, should the manager continue, you look at what he's doing well. And there are so many things that Arteta's doing well. You know, OK, you could argue that defensively they're still not where they should be. Mm. Um, and you could argue that, you know, their position in the league doesn't... <laughs> they still should be higher in the league than they are. But at the same time, you look at the performances of the young players, you look at the renewed energy in that offensive line. Even Aubameyang, who was making some very significant noises about his future, you know, he, on the face of it, he was saying, yeah, I'm committed. Mm -hmm. I'm committed is different to I'm staying. You know, he's got a year left on his contract. Yeah. Nobody knows if he will stay. But you look at them now, they look a happy team. They don't look the team they were under Emery. That said, Emery did get to the Europa League final. So to go back to your question, Arteta would need to have a real run in this competition and get them to that final. If he doesn't, I can't see them getting there by virtue of the Premier League table. OK. If you're Mikel Arteta, what do you do about Meza Ozil? He scored his first goal in 10 months. Yeah. He still walked off the pitch at a funereal pace after being substituted, and he threw his gloves to the ground. Whether that was, I mean, it didn't look like he was particularly angry, but it never looks like he's particularly <laughs> angry, does it? I don't know. Arsenal still play their best football, better football when Arsenal's in the team. So if you're Arteta, you know, Arteta's not operating with a view that he needs to get results now, otherwise they're going to get rid of him. He's, he's secure in his position. Yeah. So I think he can afford to, to, to pick the team that he thinks is going to get his best results right now which right now has Ertzel mm -hmm. in it. I don't think he'd think twice about trying to offload him or get rid of him or do something in the summer to lose him because he's looking at the long term. And I think we've seen, even from some of his post-match interviews, we've seen the kind of manager that Arteta is. He doesn't mess about. 
And I think long term, I don't think he'd see out till there. So. Okay. Time's running away with us as usual, but there are two things that I just want to dwell on briefly, if I may. First, Darren, one for you. The Porto striker, Musso uh, Marega, walks off or is, is trying, he has teammates trying to prevent him being uh, walking off after being subjected to racial abuse on Sunday. We're not getting any further with this, are we? No, we're not. And part of the reason is that, and I, listen, you know my views, I've been saying for many years, players must walk off. I think that it's a nonsense that the idea that the game is more important than the kind of thing that in any other industry we would come down like a ton of bricks on. It's no good telling us racism has no place in our game, there's no room for racism, how depressed we are, how down are. We have to have something that deals with this once and for all. Look at what we talked about at the start of the game, throwing City out of the Champions League, throw, you know, AC Milan out of the Europa League last season. But we won't do it for racism. We will impose massive fines on clubs for financial irregularities, but we won't do it for racism. And there's our problem. We don't take racism seriously enough in this game. We all talk about, we wring our hands and we say how disgusted we are, but when it comes to actually doing anything, we won't do it. And the other thing is, we've got this situation where we have convinced ourselves that the game is more important than anything else. So if it comes to walking off, well, it's got to be the right situation, or the whole team's <coughs> got to do it, or, you know, England should have left the field when they were being abused in Bulgaria. No doubt about it. Had they done that, they'd have made a statement. The national team would have made a statement, not just to the world, but to this country as well. If you're getting it, you walk out. If I'm getting it at work, if I'm getting it anywhere else, I'm walking out. I don't see any reason why players should be subjected to it. But the problem is that the players have been convinced, we've all been conditioned to believe or to be concerned about what happens rather than saying, walk away and let the game deal with the consequences, because it would have to. And the sponsors would not get behind any organiser who would want <clears> to <throat> penalise a, a black footballer, be they male or female, who decides, I'm not going to be subjected to this anymore. We have to, get, we have to be able to reach a point like, where we draw a line, otherwise we'll be talking about this in five years' time as well, because I've been at the Mirror for 20 years, we're still talking about it as much now as we were when I started 20 years ago. The irony is that had, had, had Morega been subject to even a half-dodgy tackle from an opposition player, every one of his teammates would have been legging it 20 yards in solidarity. Mm. And yet he's subjected to racial abuse and they're trying to push him back on the pitch. It was, fairly, it was pretty unedifying to watch, I've got to say. Mm. And on a sad note, Tony, death was announced this morning, Harry Gregg, one of the great Busby Bades, one of the heroes of Munich. Mm. Just want to end by assessing the character of a man who goes back into a burning plane to rescue people. Yeah, I mean, I've never done it. I don't think either of you have, have you? Um, it's just, you, you, you can't really imagine the bravery required to do that. I think he obviously just had that in him. Incredibly strong, incredibly brave guy, rescued more than one person rescued the you know young young mum and her daughter as well as obviously Bobby Charlton and, and Dennis Violet, and actually what what what, I, what I'm even more impressed and of course was playing two weeks later thirteen um, days thirteen days yeah. yeah, but even more impressive I think is the fact that he he kind of stayed true to his thoughts and his principles around what happened in the aftermath of that in, in years in years to come, questioned more than once what the club and the authorities did in terms of supporting the families of, of those who died. I think yeah we, we, you know. If you need reminding that football is a team game, I think that kind of, that, that kind of attitude and that kind of action to kind of underlines what, what a guy he was. 
Yeah, I, I was listening to him. They played an excerpt from an interview that he'd done. And he was talking about the fact that if it were to happen again, he probably would have been the first out there. <laughs> but we, we keep using the word hero in football contexts. And there's a real hero, you know, not just in terms of what he did, but what he epitomised for Manchester United as a club. And he told this story about how he'd taken Bobby Charlton out and, and Bobby Charlton was walking away with him and he'd taken a Yugoslav diplomat out and they were walking away. And the Yugoslav diplomat suddenly just collapsed and he, he'd broken his leg, you know, and, and he just said... And he just talked about that horror with just almost matter-of-factness and it kind of just... Yeah, you're right. I, I, I didn't know him as a person. I never met him. I, I know he, he laid him in at the Daily Mail, did a terrific yeah, great. interview. Yeah, phenomenal. Really, really good. And they, they had a good relationship between them. Ian understood him, you know, and Ian talked about the fact that he wouldn't have wanted all of the, the fuss and whatever around him, but at the same time, he was uh, he was a true legend of the club, and it's entirely right that even the people who don't know anything about him and might be listening to this, well, just go and Google him and find out a bit about him, read up a bit about yeah, him. Yeah, that Ian Ladyman piece is definitely worth a read. Mm. Certainly is. Football can be a showcase for the worst aspects of human nature. It also highlights some outstanding human beings. Harry Gregg was one. As Darren said, a true hero. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.